Welcome to the podcast, Science of High Paid, High Performing, Happy Engineers. The show to help engineers develop all skills non-technical. My name is Aditya Gute and I'm a speaker and a performance coach for engineers to transform them into rock stars because I believe there's a rock star hiding inside each one of you and it just needs to be brought outside to uncover your full potential as an engineer. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Today we have Martina Felderman. Martina Felderman is a PhD scientist turned career and leadership coach. She spent 15 years as a molecular biologist in the scientific industry and acted as a researcher, mentor, and co-founder of a biotech company. She has always been fascinated by the power of our mind and how our thoughts create our own reality. Martina works with scientists and engineers to provide a unique perspective on their self-awareness and emotional intelligence, two two key ingredients for any successful leader. Welcome to the show, Martina. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for having me, Aditya. Yeah. So Martina and I also went through the same coach training program. She loves rock climbing. I love rock climbing. She loves adventure sports. Adventure sports. I love adventure sports too. We connected through a common friend. Super excited to do this interview with you. So Martina, tell us a little bit about yourself. What um, made you want to become a coach helping scientists and engineers? Yeah, that's a great question because when I... You know, when I look back, my journey actually started, I would say, probably eight or nine years ago when I was a scientist, you know, working in the lab and I was invited to take a leadership course that was specifically designed for scientists. And at that time, I was in San Diego during my postdoctoral research. I flew to Germany where that course was held and I was just fascinated by it. So it it was really helpful for me to understand more of a leadership perspective and yeah it helped me enormously in my career and i actually was uh the the founder of that training institute asked me to become a trainer so i actually started that path many many years ago but then i got such a great offer in the scientific industry i wasn't quite ready to leave that yet so um i didn't continue back then but just thinking about the journey that was actually when it started and then you know, working in the sciences for quite a long time, I've, I've just noticed that scientists and engineers often don't have innate leadership skills, if you will, or it's not something that we learn in our training, right? And then when you move from an individual contributor role to a more managerial or leadership role, there's often a lot of struggle. And yeah, and I've always been fascinated by that topic and eventually started my own business on that. All right. So you have this fascination around how this, you know, engineers and science brains work, right? And what was the most revealing aspect of that uh, journey? Well, you know, as a scientist, I was always very focused on on the rational mind on solving things logically. I, I feel like I always had a great sense of intuition but that wasn't something that I brought into the sciences Um, and I kind of neglected that skill if you will but I feel like it's such a powerful thing to have to tap into and not just intuition but 
generally emotional intelligence. I think that's something that we don't really focus on in the sciences. Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, that's, uh, I, I could totally relate to that. I was never able to tap into my intuition before going through this uh, transformation journey as a coach. Um, so, uh, and, and you coach engineers and scientists. Tell me why they should work with you. Yeah. I mean, especially, especially, I'll give you a little bit of context. I'm so yeah. sorry about that. No, please. You know, I, engineers and scientists, you know, they are high achievers, right? They yeah. know how to figure things out. They have accomplished a lot of things. So why should they wor work with a coach? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like there's still a lot of potential being left on the table, especially when folks step into a managerial role. And if they don't pay attention to people dynamics or how the team works or don't know how to deal with people dynamics, I feel like so much is left on the table, right? Just the potential of the team, but also the manager, um, the potential of the manager. And that's why I think scientists and engineers can really benefit from coaching because like going back, you know, focus, being focused on rational thinking usually doesn't leave a lot of room for emotional intelligence. And so we're often so unaware of how we're showing up, how we're interacting with others, and most importantly, how to leverage, you know, everyone's unique potential on the team. And that's why I feel like coaching can really shed a light on that. Yeah, totally. I, I agree with you. And you spoke about helping others uncover their potential, right? You know, that also what, what, what engineering leaders can do for their team. Exactly. Um, so the question that's coming to my mind right now is, is that you are super competitive. Uh, you know, as you, when you set a goal for yourself, you're going to achieve it. And that's how you were as a, operating as a scientist, right? Mm -hmm. And many, many engineers and scientists, they, they are high achievers. So what you just said is around helping, become, uh, helping them become better leaders. So when it comes to leadership roles, and I know some, one of the most common challenge many engineering leaders bring to me is uh, they are competitive. That has always worked for them in the past because they are able to accomplish their goals. They're uh, the sole contributor. But when they move on to the leadership roles, they now have someone lazy in their team that, I mean, whether they're lazy or not, it's a judgment, but, you know, the person is not living up to the leader's expectations. Mm -hmm. how, what's your suggestion? How to motivate such team members? Yeah, no, it's a good point. And especially when you talk about being competitive and then stepping into a more managerial role, I feel like uh, what I've seen a lot with clients or also folks that are you know going through that transition is that they tend to micromanage because they are so used of wanting to be in control and you know it's hard to when you switch from individual contributor to managing a team to let go of certain aspects but that's exactly what you need to do as a good manager and in in order what i'm hearing you say is how do i get buy-in from my team especially if exactly. they don't live up to the expectations and I feel like everything starts with building those relationships and really becoming aware of how you show up as a leader because uh, you're familiar with the different leadership levels that we go through in our training. One to seven. <laughs> yes. <exactly. laughs> and 
you know, level two is a lot of micromanaging over where people mm-hmm. want to be in control or they think their way is the right way. And there's not a lot of room for growth. And if you show up as a leader like that, you get a lot of resistance and defiance from your team. So naturally, it's hard to get buy-in, especially if someone, you know, is not as engaged. So in order to really engage and get buy-in from your team members, I feel like you have to go to more the emotional intelligence part where you build relationships with, with your team, really getting to know each other, getting to know everyone's unique talents that they bring to the table and there's no formula on how to do that right that everybody has their unique skills on how they interact with folks building relationships that's tough martina Mm -hmm. you know i'm i never did that right especially as an engineer you know Mm -hmm. i never did that as an engineer building relationships all i was building relationships is with my computer and the software are right Mm -hmm. so uh, actually, I, uh, I would love to ask a question on that aspect. But before I jump into that, you mentioned about the leadership uh, levels, right? You know, eleven to seven, levels one to seven. Uh, just for our viewers, you know, IPAC has this powerful framework on understanding your leadership potential, where you are, and how you can grow on it. And Martin and I, both of us are certified trainers in helping you use that framework. So if you want to learn more details about that, you can either contact uh, either of us and I'll leave the details of Martina Felderman in a few minutes um, in the comments so you can uh, reach out to her. But going back to uh, the point you mentioned before Martina, which is um, you talk spoke about building relationships. Mm-hmm. And one of the common uh, limiting belief that many engineering leaders have is they are not great relationship builders. They're not good communicators because they never focused on it. And and none of their training helped them focus on uh, relationship building uh, or or communication. So how do you uh, help them to build those skills? Now, that's a great question. And like you you already alluded to this, right? There's a lot of limiting beliefs around that. Yes, it's a fact that we we don't get training on this. A lot of scientists and engineers are often introverts, not always, right? But often introverts. So that makes it even harder or it's also a perceived um, disadvantage often, I would say. And I start right there, you know, how true is that belief really? Because as we always think, or I, at least I've seen that a lot in the scientific industry, that you have to be extroverted, you have to promote yourself, and so on and so forth. You need to be very outspoken. But in fact, you know, introverts often create much deeper and longer lasting relationships than extroverts, because they take the time to get to know someone else. And just getting to the root of that, or when, when I work with introverted engineers or scientists, you know, just getting a different perspective on how to leverage their unique skills as an introvert, you know, building those relationships. And maybe they don't want to speak up in front of a big group, but they, there is certainly methods or ways to meet one-on-one with individuals to build those relationships. So you don't have to put on the mask of an extrovert in order to build those relationships. Does that answer your question at all? I think you totally answered that question and it also tells uh, 
um, it also alludes the, to the point you previously made is that which is there is no one cookie cutter approach. It really depends on your personality. If you're an extrovert, maybe you know working on your presentations is a great strategy, right? And if you're an introvert, building that those one-on-one relationships is a great strategy. And, and or it could be something else. It could be a combination of both. And how do you determine how you can grow your leadership skills? It's by working with Martina or any other coach. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, those are great insights. And I also want to go back to uh, another question or another point you alluded to. These high performers become micromanagers when they become um, in a leader, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so I'm going to ask you a little bit of a tough question. So, um, so help how how can how what, what's your suggestion what's your advice when, mm-hmm. when there is a deadline on uh there is there's a up there's an upcoming deadline you have to uh, you know meet the deadline mm-hmm. and uh, the direct report who's working in your team is not performing in a way that uh, the project gets done by the deadline. So in that scenario, what, how, how do you help the manager? Does he have to decide? Yeah, I'll, I'll leave it there. No, go ahead if you want to add something to that. Um, my only thing is, like, you know, I'm, I'm probably giving an, or a closed-ended question. So most of the manager engineering leaders in this role ask me this question, right? You know, mm-hmm. do I have to micromanage and get it done, get the, question, get the, get the stuff done myself? Mm-hmm. Or, uh, or do I, uh, or is there a way for me to motivate the team member so it gets done? Or I just don't worry about the deadline. So what is, what, what, what is the approach? So it, it's a good question because I feel like there are multiple parts to it. To it, right? Mm-hmm. First, I feel like as a manager, your responsibility mm-hmm. should be to to build that trust and get the buy-in, you know, as soon as you step into, into that role to start working on that, right? So you don't get to a situation where you say, okay, I have this tight deadline. I have underperforming employees. What am I going to do now? Because you have, there's not as many opportunities if you have to, you know, you can't change someone or, or get the buy, buy-in and trust if you have a three-week deadline, However, what I feel really helps is getting the, your team members engaged, you know, telling them the why, why are we doing this? What's the importance of the deadline? Get their, um, you know, get their skin in the game to really understand, okay, also what's in it for them, make it a win-win situation. Remember level five is really lay that out. It's not just do it or else, you know, if you don't do this, then X, Y, and Z will happen because that's, again, it's the micromanaging and that, that forceful approach, but getting really the team members on board and also maybe asking them what you feel like, you know, you could contribute to that or how can you use your strength in X, Y, and Z area in order to help us achieve that deadline. And what I've seen often is when team members don't know exactly why they're working for a certain goal or why this deadline got shifted, then there's often 
less buy-in or more resistance. So keeping people informed about what's going on from, you know, from the top, from senior leadership on why maybe a, a certain deadline was moved um, to a specific date, then it's much easier for them to understand. And also understanding, helping them understand what their contribution is and how they can help achieve a bigger goal to take a little bit more responsibility in other words. Yeah, I think that those are are great answers and I totally can relate. Um, You know, when I was working as an engineer under another leader, uh, if my manager might tell me a hundred times sometime, you know, why this is important to meet a deadline, but nothing will sink in. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'll do, I'll do it at my own pace, right? But what you also suggested it is is getting the buy-in. You know, again, that's where what you were saying, right? You know, the soft skills, communication skills becomes critically important because an effective leader can rally their teams uh, against a deadline. Maybe just tell a great story on why important the deadline is. Uh, the the effect of your presentation on why your deadline is can make all the difference. And and that is something you can achieve if you work on it actively on building those soft skills. And another suggestion you also gave is bring the senior leader into the, and have them tell your team why the deadline is important is another suggestion you gave me. Totally. Transparent, you know, what's being discussed with senior leadership doesn't necessarily uh, have to be that the senior leader steps in and say why it's just you know is your role as a middle manager or leader to be transparent to to share what's being discussed you know a level or two above so everybody understands I feel like when people understand when you give them the why and then you know they have more flexibility or you give them the trust to take care of it to let them decide on how to take care of it wants to know why we're doing something. Absolutely. Uh, I, I, I want to ask you a few more detailed questions and, and, and I'm sorry for grilling you on this topic. No, no, that's fine. Uh, um, so, so when it comes to uh, being transparent, right? Mm-hmm. I love that transparency. And would you say that um, a manager can be transparent by just telling about, I mean, let me reframe, rephrase this question. There are many times engineers feel they're not being kept in those higher level meetings, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they don't have access to this meeting um, and they don't know whether the manager is saying, is saying all the right things. So in such cases, uh, how, how would you uh, address the situation? Yeah, it's a good question. And I've seen that a lot too, that there is not a lot of motivation or frustration when things are not communicated well. So as a middle manager, I feel like an important part of the role is to really convey convey and communicate, okay, this is what we've discussed in our senior leadership meeting. Not everything, you know, just important parts that impact the team, but then also ask the team, is there anything you want me to share with them, you know? Obviously, you can't invite all engineers to senior leadership meetings. That wouldn't make any sense. But as a manager, you can be, um, you know, the, the point person to communicate and really make things more transparent as it relates to the team. So I think what you said 
also is a key point, which is that you can't bring all the team members and put them in a in a leadership meeting, right? And that's what that's something you have all the engineers should understand because sometimes you might feel left out, and that doesn't mean uh, you are less important that you're not worthy of being in the meeting. It just means that statistically, logically, does it's not possible to have like twenty people sitting in that leadership meetings. So um, be very productive. Yeah, giving <laughs> them a voice. You know, I feel like as a manager, you're the one who can really boil down and summarize what has been discussed, but then also take feedback from the team, con you know, and make a concise statement to senior leadership if, if that's appropriate. But I want to get back to something, Aditya, what you said before in terms of higher achievers and, and being competitive, if you don't mind. Please, I, I would love to. Because I, I, I've seen that a lot and I, you know, the word perfectionism comes to mind here. And I don't know if you resonate with that at all, but I, I would say I'm a recovering perfectionist, right? <laughs> so I, th I see that a lot with scientists and engineers and, and really understanding where this is coming from, that perfectionism, that, you know, uh, being very competitive or feeling like, well, if, if I win, then the other person loses, or in other words, you know, if the other yeah. person wins and I lose, these are such ingrained beliefs or ways of thinking that are not very productive, right? And just understanding a little bit more what is high achieving is coming from, because often it comes from a lack of something. It could be a lack of trust in yourself or a lack of trust in your own abilities. Because there is, for me, there's a huge difference between perfectionism and excellence you know it doesn't mean if you're not doing something perfectly that you're sloppy you can do something in an excellent way but trying to do everything perfectly it it kind of feels a little heavy or you know what i'm what i'm alluding to or does that make sense at all absolutely it it, it uh, really comes from a place of uh, whether you want to be perfect because you think if you don't accomplish this, you are, will be considered as an idiot, right? That's coming from a fear-based is what we talk about. Um, and versus what you're saying is coming from a place of being excellent. You mm -hmm. could be the, you could operate like the best scientist on the planet. That doesn't have, has nothing to do with how your fellow scientist is operating. It has I mean, it's coming from you. It's know. just about yourself. You know, excellence for me comes with confidence, wanting to do everything perfectly, because like you said, there's a fear of disappointing others or being, you know, labeled as not as intelligent or not intelligent enough. That comes from a fear-based level. And as you and I know, you know, operating from a fear-based level is like having tunnel vision. You don't really see what's going on outside of that and and therefore you really close yourself off to many opportunities or possible solutions that are out there that's a great uh, point at uh, the key distinction martina so uh, one question on that mm -hmm. how do you help uh, clients uh, your clients to realize that they whether they come from a fear-based or an excellence-based uh, approach yeah, it's a great question because a lot of people recognize when they're trying to do things perfectly or when they come from a perfectionism standpoint, but then really digging deeper where this is coming from. 
and what would happen if things don't work out perfectly. And that's usually when the fears are coming up. And what would it look like if you know you did the best you could in that particular situation and really be confident in your skills that you will come up with the correct answers or solutions. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's a whole other topic, but it's very interesting to uncover that because once clients are aware when they're operating from a fear-based mode, it also feels very different in your body, right? There's, it's more, I feel like, I don't know, like having a lot of weight on your shoulders or clenching your teeth or trying to force something, right? Whereas if you go into a meeting, you're very confident or you even, you know, come from a perspective of brainstorming. I feel like it's much more open. It's lighter. Ideas flow. But when you try to do something perfectly, it, the feeling of flow is usually not there. I love that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like you said, right, it, it's going to impact many aspects of it, like how you show up in your meetings, how you show up in your life, how much ideas are you encouraging from your team? All of these are going to open up when you have that awareness of whether you're coming from a place of fear or passion. And, and one of the key points you have alluded to, Martina, is uh, to help them help people recognize that because most engineers I'm sure who are listening to this podcast they they're thinking I'm coming from a passion based right mm-hmm. they, because it's some it's natural to think that because we never think we are coming from a fear based and the best mm-hmm. way to understand that is uh, you you pointed ask yourself this question what if everything you intend to, to do completely failed mm-hmm. and that's when you can understand your fears mm-hmm. um, and, and, and by answering this question I think you will understand whether uh, you're coming from a fear-based or... I like what you said about, you know, thinking we're coming from a place of passion, which is true for a lot of scientists and engineers, but then really discerning, okay, my passion, you know, that's the intention why we're doing something, but then how are we doing something? Are we trying to do it perfectly or in an excellent way? Yes, I, I love that. I love that. You know, whether uh, you're doing perfectly or in an excellent way. Yeah. And that's a, a distinction to remember, too. And as you know, Aditya, you know, from our training and the framework that you mentioned, it's really understanding that our thoughts create our emotions and that our emotions create our actions. I mean, it's such a powerful tool, right? Or if you want to put it in short, our thoughts really create our reality, And it's a powerful concept. So if you feel like as a leader, you know, you have to micromanage or you have to take control of everything else, otherwise things will fall apart. I mean, this is what you're creating because you don't create trust in your team. And just really getting more awareness around your thoughts and uncovering those beliefs, that's usually a huge turning point for the folks I work with. I I love that. And, and, a, a person who is coming from a pl- from a place of being excellent, right? What would you say, and this would be the last and closing question, what would you say their beliefs are when it comes to failing? When it comes to what? Sorry, I didn't understand. When it comes to failing. Mm, I don't, so I feel like it's not, they wouldn't see it as failure, it's more as an opportunity to learn 
or also knowing, okay, I've tried this, that didn't work out. Now I'll try the next step. It just gives you additional information. But a lot of leaders who work more in a crisis mode, they try to plan everything out and it has to go exactly the right way. Not sure if that's making sense, but if you never take action and you're, if you're just trying to really figure out, you know, what's the right thing to do, you'll never have clarity. I love the statement, action brings clarity. Because even if you make a mistake, you then at least know, okay, this is not the right way to go. I'll move into a different direction. There's more movement. There's more forward movement. And someone who comes from a place of excellence, they will always see the opportunity in the things that haven't worked out. They don't use it as, oh, I'm a failure or I shouldn't have tried that. They use it as, okay, that's a piece of information. Now I know I want to go that way or improve certain things. Yeah. I mean, there's one question um, I, I, that's coming to my mind as a follow-up question. Um, and, and this might be a little tough, but um, if a project is not done, and this is my idea on implementing this project, that this has to be done. And I have enrolled the leadership team that we are going to be successful. And uh, they put, uh, they, they supported you. Uh, they, they put money behind you and your team. And what I said is going to be done, wasn't done. It's a failure. So what would you say in, to tell a scientist or a manager, engineering manager, who can who, who experiences that? Yeah, it's a good question. I think one has to understand why certain things weren't done, and then you know communicating that. It's a difficult question because there's you know it really depends on why weren't things done, what got in the way, were there some external or internal factors, and then most importantly, how you're going to navigate that in the future. Because oh, I mean, would you say, yeah, no, go ahead. Would you say that the top performers would still view this as an opportunity for improvement than as a failure? Yes, I would say so. The most important part is top performers, you know, they will own their responsibility if they screwed up or if it's a failure on their end, they will own that confidently and, and speaking out, you know saying, okay, this is what I could have done better. I will do that better the next time. But they also won't let their confidence be shattered because of that. It's just, okay, I mean, people make mistakes. I, I made a, a big mistake here. This is how I will make sure it doesn't happen again in the future. So it's just about owning and not putting the blame on others if it's on you. And really also supporting your team and, you know, having your teams back and not saying, well, team member so-and-so didn't really pull his weight because it's your responsibility as a manager to make sure that everyone is pulling their weight. So, yeah. that's, a, that's a great answer, Martina. If, all that to say, no matter how royally you screwed it up, it's, not a, it's still not a failure. It's still an opportunity for improvement. And the top performance always, no matter what you think is a failure, it is never a failure. It's always an opportunity for improvement and taking personal accountability. Uh, because, go ahead, sorry. A failure would be to stop 
and not move forward. That would be a failure. Brilliant. I think that's a great note to um, uh, conclude this podcast, Martina. Um, any other final thoughts that you want to share with the audience today? Yeah, just, you know, for your audience, I haven't made an official announcement yet, but I've actually created an online course that really dives into those seven levels of leadership. And I think it would be so beneficial for engineers and scientists. And so basically how it works is that people will take the assessment, right? Like you alluded to, you really get an understanding of how you show up when things go well, you know, what's your, what's your unique potential, but then how do you react when you experience a lot of stress? So, Um, folks will have access to that assessment to get the personal results. And then they can go through self-paced videos that really explains and goes deeper into each level of leadership. And there are worksheets and strategies and how to really shift out of the lower levels and leverage your true potential. So I'm more than happy to, you know, uh, provide a link for you. The course will be launched next week and, Since I love working with engineers and scientists, I'm more than happy to throw in like a 30-minute one-on-one session with me for the first five folks that are interested. So I'll I'll send that information to you once I have it. So it hasn't been announced yet. So it's the first time that this is out there. They will get, you know, first access to that course. I'm I'm very excited. That's fantastic. And uh, I'm sure it's going to be a fantastic program, especially seven leaders of leadership. It's something Martina and been through great, uh, I mean, great framework to help you understand your leadership skills, uh, your current leadership skills and the actions you can take to, uh, to further make them better. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and definitely I'll post the link to, if you're interested in reaching out to Martina about this course or anything else, I'll be posting all the links in the description of the podcast don't forget to check it out. Thank you so much, Martina, for being with us today. It's a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you, Aditya. Pleasure is mine. Thank you for listening to my podcast. Hopefully you learned some important nuggets to uncover the rock star from inside of you. If you have any questions, you can reach me on my email at aditya at who we are dot io it's a d i t y a at who we are dot io